0: Have you ever seen someone trying to take charge of something that they were completely unqualified to take charge of? I'm sure we could all give examples of this. You you may have seen it at work. Uh, If you've been following the daily coronavirus press briefings from the White House, you will have seen the most astounding example of this. Uh, President Trump recently left his medical advisers aghast when he suggested that injecting disinfectant into the body could be an effective treatment for the coronavirus medical bodies around the world immediately saw the potentially lethal implications of this advice and wasted no time in refuting it. Clearly the best people to manage the medical aspect of those daily briefings are the medical experts themselves. As individuals most of us recognize that there are things that we are not competent to manage and as human beings as a race we should recognise that we cannot effectively manage the world without God. Psalm 14 exists to disabuse us of the notion that we can do a better job of managing this world than God can, as if we can do away with God and get on better without him. Even just at a personal level, our own lives, do we really think that we can manage our lives more effectively without our Heavenly Father? Think of a human relationship between a four-year-old child and their loving parent. The child wants to cycle off on their own. The parent knows that there's a busy road nearby. The child wants to eat those lovely looking red berries. The parent knows that they're poisonous. The child wants to eat cake and lollies for dinner. The parent knows that would be unhealthy. The difference in wisdom between a four-year-old child and their parent is inconsequential. It's meaningless compared to the difference in wisdom between the most intelligent, savvy, and experienced human being and God. The divide is infinite. Isaiah 55 verses 8 to 9 say this, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it's amazing to think that Psalm 14 was written by King David, a powerful ruler. Powerful rulers have always been prone to pride. They still are. But in the ancient world, that pride was often more evident because uh, ancient rulers didn't have the same checks and balances that modern rulers usually do. Uh, Their power in worldly terms was absolute But David had a real love for God and for God's agenda uh, rather than his own agenda, albeit he made some catastrophic mistakes along the way. Hence Psalm 14 begins with these words. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. And in the original Hebrew, the words there is aren't there. So it reads, the fool says in his heart, no God. And it amounts to practical atheism. Practical atheism is the view that one should live their life with a complete disregard for God. It's not so much a question of whether or not God exists, but a total rejection of God. But notice it says the fool says in his heart, no God. It doesn't say the fool has looked at all the evidence and reached the conclusion that there's no God. Now, that's certainly how atheists like to present their view, but it's not what it says here in Psalm 14. Verse 1 is telling us that a God-orientated life is not a matter of the intellect, but a matter of the heart. In other words, the question of God's existence is not so much an intellectual question as a moral one. But atheists usually want to frame the argument in intellectual terms, often appealing to scientific evidence. Our modern Western culture contradicts verse 1. It tells us only a fool believes in God. And in this context, when the word fool is used by our culture, it means simple, uneducated, unintelligent, naive. Science has disproved the Bible, is the mantra of the modern atheist. Why do you Christians persist in your belief in spite of scientific evidence? Say those who, for the most part, have only ever read snippets of the Bible, let alone trying to understand it. But the psalmist, King David, is right. It's a matter of the heart. If it was simply a matter of the intellect and atheists were right, only people who are intellectually deficient would be Christians. But some of the greatest minds throughout history, right up to the present day, have been Christian. Thought is not the enemy of Christianity. And if science had really disproved Christianity, you you wouldn't find any scientists who are Christians. But a great many scientists are Christian, just as a great many people from all walks of life are Christian. The first worldwide survey of religion and science revealed that most scientists do not see the science faith interface as one of conflict. At a popular level, the atheists are using the science trump card to disprove Christianity, but the evidence shows that for the most part, scientists themselves don't support that stance. So it's not a question of the scientific versus the unscientific or the educated versus the uneducated, or the intelligent versus the stupid. The question of whether or not we put our faith in God, or more specifically, whether we put our faith in Jesus, is not an intellectual question, it's a moral one. The truth is human beings are sinful, and we will latch on to anything that helps us to justify our sin. We will go along with any mode of thinking that enables us to live the life that we want to lead. Last month, the ABC published an article with the title Science Denial Among the Greatest Risks to Humanity, New Report Finds. As a society, we have now started to deny science. We are denying the very thing that has been used so assiduously to refute theism, belief in God. But why would we deny this bulwark of atheism? Well, quite simply, because science is now telling us things that we don't want to hear. Scientific evidence is standing in the way of the life that we want to lead. The article uses the coronavirus as an example. Uh, Here's a quote from the person who headed the report. He said, the frustration is we're finding a way to adjust to the coronavirus pandemic and perhaps developing a somewhat effective recovery from it. But this is something that was predicted for quite some time and people just didn't want to pay attention to that. The article also uses the example of climate change. The scientists are warning us, but we don't want to listen because to to take them seriously would mean changing our greedy, consumeristic lifestyle. So we appeal to science to disprove the Bible, even though there's no legitimate conflict. And we ignore science because we don't want to change the way that we live our lives. It would seem that our society's attitude towards science is not altogether pragmatic when preaching about practical atheism in the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon once said this, he said, the spread of mere intellectual enlightenment will not diminish their number, the number of atheists. For since it is an affair of the heart, this folly and great learning will often dwell together. In other words, a person can be highly intelligent and completely foolish at the same time. Just look at the number of intelligent people who have made unwise choices and brought ruination upon themselves whether or not we submit to God is an affair of the heart and our hearts are not predisposed to truth and righteousness in fact it's the very opposite human beings are inherently sinful and on our own we cannot disentangle ourselves from sin that's why we need Jesus it's especially important, I think, for new Christians to understand that our default position is to reject God and his ways. If we don't understand this, we'll feel disillusioned when we slip up, when we sin. We'll say, I've been born again. I belong to Jesus. Why do I keep having these thoughts? Why do I keep falling into sin? Well, it's because we're sinful by nature. And yes, when we give our lives to Christ, we will be changed and transformed but that's an ongoing process that will last our entire lives and none of us are exempt from this sinful state of being reading from verse 2 it says the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand any who seek God all have turned away all have become corrupt there is no one who does good not even one Human beings are in opposition to God, and that can only change when we turn to Christ. But for the person who doesn't want to change, God is an inconvenience. I mean, we all recognize that the existence of God has huge implications on the way we live our lives. If there is no God, morally speaking, anything is possible. Uh, If there is a God, and particularly if there's a good God who loves us and who wants the very best for us, then we have an obligation to live lives of faithful obedience. So if we're opposed to changing, and all of us are to some extent opposed to changing, then we have a vested interest in doing away with God. There was a time in my life when deep down I believe the Christian message, but I still denied it. I didn't respond to it because I didn't want to believe it. I didn't want to believe there was a God. Uh, I expect some people will be able to relate to that. Again, atheism is not an intellectual question, but a moral one. If you were speaking to an atheist, then you said, let's say for argument's sake, that it could be proved beyond all doubt that God exists. Would you worship him? if they were being honest, most would have to say no, they wouldn't worship God. In the biblical sense, the word fool doesn't mean someone who's unintelligent, it means someone who is immoral. So what does practical atheism, this rejection of God, lead to? Well, according to Psalm 14, two things. Firstly, corruption, the words mentioned twice in this passage, in verse 1 and then again in verse 3. Brueggemann uh, put it like this, Where God is not, everything is possible. We remove the barriers to sin. We justify it and we celebrate it. And I think we're seeing this increasingly in the uh, Western world, uh, in our culture here, where we're drifting away from our Christian roots. Secondly, there is oppression. Verse four, they devour my people as though eating bread. We want to disregard God and reorder our lives for our own benefit. And this kind of selfishness will always play out to the detriment of the poor and the powerless. And yes, this kind of oppression has been perpetrated by supposedly Christian nations at various points in history, but a nation that is involved in oppression is not acting Christianly. An oppressive nation is not aligning itself with God's way of doing things. According to Psalm 14, Corruption and oppression are the fruits of practical atheism. And you only have to look at Stalinist Russia or Maoist China to see that that's true. There are two, these are uh, two regimes that attempted to eradicate God from their respective nations. Stalin killed 20 million of his own people. And Chairman Mao may have killed as many as 45 million of his own people. But we don't even have to look at such extreme examples. Just look at the world economy as it stands today. 11% of the global population owns 82.8% of global wealth. And the wealthiest 1% of the world's population has more than twice as much wealth as the poorest 50%. What's more, much of the world's wealth is accumulated by exploiting people in poor countries who work for low wages and under dangerous conditions. And everyone knows that it's happening. On the whole, human beings have decided that they can manage the world better without God. And the result is corruption and oppression. But the psalmist makes it clear that God is on the side of the poor. Reading from verse 5, it says... But there there they are, overwhelmed with dread, for God is present in the company of the righteous. You evildoers frustrate the plans of the poor, but the Lord is their refuge. Notice earlier in the psalm, there's this image of God looking down. He's still on the throne. The fools who reject God's governance are not running the show. This is still God's world. A life devoted to God is still the wisest path that we can take. And as we've just seen, the ultimate mark of God's rule is his solidarity with the poor and I just want to pick up on that phrase in verse five they the oppressors are overwhelmed with dread what does that mean well even though atheists are often very vocal in their beliefs there, there exists a certain amount of doubt in their minds. So, I mean how could one not doubt one's atheism Uh, when we live in a world where God's fingerprints are so evident, and even more so when that atheist comes into contact, uh, meets someone who is a genuine Christian. You know, it's very telling, and and it's a caricature, of course, but uh, on the one hand, the atheist uh, dismisses the Bible as a collection of fairy tales and uh, describes believers as deluded. And on the other hand, he becomes incensed at the mere mention of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why the name of Jesus often provokes such hostility? Well, John 3.19 says this, Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. If you're walking in darkness and you love that darkness, then you don't want to be reminded of the light. You don't want to be reminded that you've chosen to reject the light, to reject God, because somewhere deep inside you recognize that that's a bad thing to do. Something deep within us identifies that there are consequences to rejecting the light, and we don't want to think about that. So when the atheist is reminded of the light, when he sees some evidence of Christ in the world, it can fill him with dread. And so he mocks, he rails, he sticks his fingers in his ears, and he shouts in an attempt to drown out the truth. And in some circumstances, when given the chance, He oppresses, devouring God's people as though eating bread. So what could convince the fool who has turned his back on God? What could overthrow the persecutors, stem the tide of sin and secure the poor and the oppressed? Verse seven tells us, oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. The arrival of Israel's Messiah. That was the hope of the Psalms. Well, Israel's Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. We cannot talk anyone out of their atheism by sound argument because it's not a head issue. It's a heart issue. Jesus can change hearts. So we must preach and demonstrate the love and goodness of Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to do the rest. The desire of the godly in all ages is for the coming of the Messiah, Jesus entered this world as a defenceless baby and he will return as a conquering king and then the hope of the psalmist which is also our hope will be perfectly fulfilled. Until then we worship Jesus the way the truth and the life and acknowledge that we cannot effectively manage our lives we cannot effectively manage the world without Jesus.